Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're in for a delightful conversation. The topic tonight, everyday mindfulness. From chaos to calm in a crazy world, and our guest tonight is Holly Duckworth. We're going to bring Holly on in just a minute. But uh, I, the topic of a mind uh, of mindfulness is it's so enticing to talk about as it relates to the power of our of our own consciousness. I mean, mindfulness is an attribute of consciousness, and and I guess you could say the flip side, unmindfulness is also an attribute. But when you look at the the storyline being played out by humanity, and there's all this uh, karmic or comic upheaval, if you will, of the collective story, mindfulness uh, or or the uh, its effect on consciousness is a very powerful um, attribute or tool, if you will. To, to change the course of individuals and thus change the course of humanity. And um, I, I love talking about attributes of human consciousness that uh, are really uh, excellent tools when it comes to using our own, our own persona, our own consciousness. If you're listening to this, you're conscious, period. You have consciousness. And... and that can be kind of an elusive thing because, I mean, there's, what, 7 billion flavors of consciousness on this planet, and the consequences are all over the charts. And so when we talk about mindfulness, I think it's a, it's a really powerful tool that you can use to to hone your own consciousness to, and how that relates to your own life and how it re- relates to the collective story. Um And without further ado, I think we should get right to it. Our world has become mindless. Through mindfulness training, our guest tonight, Holly Duckworth, works with you to know what mindfulness is, what it is not, and then apply your mindfulness techniques to produce a more productive and profitable organization. Holly is a trailblazing keynote speaker and applied mindfulness leadership advisor. As a contributor to the New York Times, producer a host of the Everyday Mindfulness Show, and columnist to countless industry publications, she works with stressed out leaders to create peace, presence, and profits. She was named Meetings Today 2018 Trendsetter for Applied Mindfulness Work and 2016 Smart Smart Meetings Woman of the Year. Holly's current book, Everyday Mindfulness, From Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World, is an Amazon number one new release and bestseller. Her infotainment book, Mindful Leadership, The Stress-Free Guide to Leadership, is a guide for those who want more ease as leaders 
And then there's Control-Alt-Believe, Reboot Your Association for Success, which has won two national awards. Join me in welcoming Holly to the show. Holly, welcome to the show. Hello, Les. Good evening. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to have you on the show. So you're quite entrenched in this in this uh, mindfulness um, aspect of ourselves. Can you uh, can you start us off with uh, to tell us a little bit about how you came to have such a passion for mindfulness and leadership? What a great question. It's such a joy to do work I love and work with people I love and places I love all of the time. And, you know, uh, it's so interesting. In in early career, in a middle school and high school career, they say, you know, what you start doing, you know, you got to get on a path to doing X thing. And, uh, you know, in today's world, we're preparing students for careers that don't even exist yet. And my, my, my career journey actually started out in meteorology and weather forecasting. And I was uh, going to be a weather woman, as, as my dad often reminds me. Uh, but sometimes the path takes uh, fortuitous curves. And I ended up uh, getting a degree in business and uh, went on to work for an organization called Meeting Professionals International. I was a meeting planner for um, 10 years um, in Portland, Oregon, a job that I absolutely loved, but meeting planning, 24-7, 365, um, a lot of stress and overwhelm. Gave me the opportunity to then step in. I was recruited to work for a company called Meeting Professional International, which is the world's leading meeting planning and supplying network worldwide. And I did leadership training and development for them. And meeting profession as an industry is often named a Forbes top five most stressful list. So I left one, one stressful job for another stressful job. And in 2010, I really started to hear more of my friends and colleagues saying, I'm so stressed, I'm so overwhelmed, um, this, this job is costing me my health, or in many cases, a relationship that was important to them. And so I went back to school and got an additional certification as a licensed spiritual practitioner. And now I have put all of these passions, this love for gathering people face-to-face, the power of face-to-face events, um, the power of volunteerism and associations and what they can do in our world, coupled with now this mindfulness degree uh, to help make the world a better place. I personally believe that we can create a world that works for everyone when everyone is willing to do their own work. And I know in the intro, you talked about, you know, the power of our own consciousness, what we, what we think about, we bring about, but it's even deeper than that. It's not only what we think about, but it's what we feel about what we think and how we utilize our thoughts and our feeling nature to create the world that we want and then empower others to do the same. So my my career, I, I've been saying to, to friends, is kind of a, a great chemistry and alchemy of, of roots and wings. I have this great grounded background in, in business and leadership, but also this great um, sense of vision and wings. And I help utilize both of those skills to educate, connect, and inspire um, leaders, certainly here in North America and around the U.S. through my keynotes, my coaching, and um, training practice. Well, very nice. I mean, what we're looking at here tonight is really two topics. There's mindfulness and there's leadership. 
Let's start off with mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness is is something that you could go all the way through the uh, academic uh, arena of our culture and perhaps not e ever even hear hear the term. How would you how would you define mindfulness? So, I utilize the definition of mindfulness from John Kabat-Zinn, the founder of MBSR, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Institute. And that definition is mindfulness is the practice of being present in the moment with non-judgment. And I tend to break that down for my clients into first let's practice being fully present in the moment, which is just that a practice. Some days we do it, some minutes we do it, some days we don't, some minutes we don't. And when we start to get a little bit of a handle on that, then we add in the non-judgment piece to bring the full definition of mindfulness into view as a philosophy, as a way of life, as, as a way of practicing loving yourself and taking care of yourself mindfully so that you can create a world, peace, joy, focus, and harmony for yourself and those around you. Well, I like that, uh, but... The, the idea of non-judgment, and I love the idea of non-judgment, um, so much of our culture has this um, right and wrong um, measuring stick, if you will. There's, there's so many hot topics, if you will, in, in uh, social media. And, and um, to look at something without, uh, without judgment I mean, how how do you uncondition yourself? How do you, I mean, because um, everybody seems to have their their uh, perspective, point of view, preference, and then and then you turn around and through as you're sharing with us in this mindfulness practice, moment to moment, they have a non-judging perspective. How what do you do to kind of shelf your um, your own uh, bias or posture. Practice, 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 and I and I would say it, it's that it's it's a really really cool place of being serious and also laughing at yourself a lot. I when I talk about this uh, in my keynote speeches, I always um, use some kind of almost self-deprecating humor in the talk where I'll say, now I know that there's some of you women sitting out there and you look at my shoes and you're going, oh my God, I absolutely love those shoes. I have to have those shoes. And then there's other women that sitting out there going, why in the heck would she wear those shoes? They are so uncomfortable. And I, and I love that you laugh with that comment because there's certainly corollary, you know, for men too, but we've been conditioned from such a young age this is good, this is bad, yes or no, I like this, I don't like this, that by almost giving ourselves a moment to be mindful and look at what is it that I think about this, we don't even know we're judging it because it just happens so automatically and fast. So I have my go look at something in their life, what are you judging it as good or bad, and just recognize the trigger. And that's why I often use this as a secondary piece of mindfulness because, first of all, you've got to get your, your mind and your presence to slow down enough <laughs> to even honor where you are and then recognize your judging within yourself as something is, is good or, or as, as bad. And then once you've started to label things, 
invite yourself to 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 non-label them to be in the practice of it is what it is can i allow this experience i mean i i always use personal examples i was at a at a grocery store the other day walking down the aisle gentleman came over to help me and i was like startled because he had a very long very i'll call it aggressive mohawk and i was like oh, that's just wrong. And then I could even catch my own self in that moment of why am I judging this as, as right or wrong? He is a Mohawk. It's his business. It's not impacting me. It's impacting him and his life and how he chooses to live it. And so that's just a little micro example of something little that we do as human beings every single day over and over that can create a spiral of maybe not love, fear, doubt, lack, concern, that if we can start to to program ourselves where we see those negative judgments and reprogram in them into a positive or, or neutral light, I think if we do this as a society, we're going to be building a world that works for everyone. Well, I like that a lot. You know, as you're talking, I, I had the notion of uh, personal relationships. I mean, you know, a spouse or uh, a significant other. And, uh, I mean, how many times have you heard the story of someone saying, well, I married, I've married basically the same guy three different times. It's like I can't get out of this cycle of marrying a, uh, they might call him a jerk or whatever. And then, and then I, in, that, uh, in that non-judgment space, in that being fine, uh, mindful in a non-judging way, there's got to be some element within each person of that cycle that perpetuates the cycle, and to be to be in a, a, an interaction, a relationship, and to be mindful, to be present, and then without judgment, I think th- it, there's something kind of slippery magic about it, where um, the subconscious or the non-obvious has an opportunity to be revealed in that moment, if that makes sense. I, I like to say life is a do-it-to-yourself project. So what are you doing to yourself? You know, if you're in that relationship and you're constantly tearing that other person down in relationship, well, what's going on within yourself that you're tearing yourself down in order to equalize the relationship with your partner? And I think the more, again, we can kind of step back and pause and say, okay, I'm I'm triggered here. This doesn't work for me. Right. But then also kind of sit in the question of how can I create an experience that does work for me and being able to articulate that in partnership can change the course of relationship versus just tearing this, just ripping them to a shred this, this absolutely doesn't work. That that mindful practice being present in the moment first. To, to have my own wherewithal to say, okay, where am I mentally with this? Where am I physically in this experience? Where am I spiritually? Where am I emotionally with it first? And understand life is a do-it-to-yourself project. Whatever I choose to do in this relationship is coming initially from, back to your word, my own consciousness. Right. I, I like that. It's like uh, look at it again with virgin eyes. Look at it again through uh you know, clear glasses, if you will. Well, I, well, I like that. So, um, in in the chaos of today's time, I mean, why does mindfulness even matter? Uh, I, I think the temperature is only going to get turned up more. 
And I think mindfulness as a practice is a great anecdote to the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, and financial stresses that we are placing on ourselves, again, as a result of this human consciousness. So, you know, we'll take, you know, the financial example. We've, we've built a consciousness of, I, I talk about in, in the book, bigger, better, faster, and more. And the more that our consciousness says, I need a bigger house, I need a faster car, I need more stuff, the more pressure we put on our brain and our bodies and our hearts to make more stuff that's taxing a toll on our mental capacities, on our relationship, on our physical experiences, that mindfulness, the practice of being present in the moment, is that pause. Breathe, center, accept the moment where you are, and make a new choice. And some of us will choose we still want these things. Some of us will choose we may want to scale back on those things, but the practice of being present in the moment gets us off that hamster wheel or that roller coaster ride, that pressure cooker that the 24 seven nature of our world and our relationships are begging us to, to, to create. And yet we have a conscious choice of what we want to do with our life. Right. I like that. Well, in the, in the opening you were, you were discussing your the evolution of your career, and uh, it was based on um, um, meetings and 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 strategy of, of of setting that up. And then later on, you bring in this uh, you you entered the mindfulness arena, if you will. How did how did your perception of the uh, the the genre of business, I mean, a company, uh, just to look at it in a simple term, how did that change when you brought the element of mindfulness into your toolbox? Um, If you look at my personality profile, it comes back down to I am a trailblazer. (laughs) So I just, I just see things less and I, and I, and I say things. And so in my mind, there is no separation of work life and home life. And as our world has been writing new chapters since you know the advent of the cell phone and the advent of the Internet and all of these things, there is only the illusion of the separation between home life and work life. And so my work, I have, you know, keynotes and consulting projects with major corporations, helping them to understand how if you have an employee who's going through a divorce or, you know, has cancer or has any of these experiences at home, how they're bringing those experiences into the workplace. And obviously the workplace is then bleeding into the home life. So I help organizations to understand mindful practices that people can do without having to get on a yoga mat that invite them to center, focus, create vision, utilizing the natural human ability to see, to feel, to sense, and to know. Uh, So my work does have an interesting shade of gray as it relates to both. It's a personal practice, but it is also a corporate practice. So I will 
work with CEOs, executives, entrepreneurs to, to do these things in their own life. But then I'll take a group of 8, 10, 12, 30 executives, and we might lead a visioning process for the vision of their company uh, because I believe so strongly in the power of our own mindfulness practice to get fully present in a group and, and play with, co-create with that consciousness of the heart, or you use the word in your, your work, about the soul. When we can connect our hearts and our souls together, we change individuals' lives, and as a group of individuals, we change companies. Right. Well, I'm, so if I've never heard of the term mindfulness, and uh, I, I read a how-to paragraph about it, and I'm a total rookie, and then perhaps fast forward um, 5, 10, 15 <clears throat> years into the future, how does, how does mindfulness change or grow on us? I mean, I mean, does it evolve as a practice? Yes. Let's, let me help with one mis, misnomer and um, miscommunication that maybe some of your listeners might have. There's two words that often get mashed up in today's world and I like to unmash them and that's the word meditation and the word mindfulness because a lot of people believe that meditation is the only way to mindfulness and when you say meditation to someone it generally freaks out their monkey mind and they see people sitting on <laughs> lotus flowers you know you, you, you've got the, got the vision oh and and I honor those who choose to meditate. I happen to be one of them. But I also believe in today's world that mindfulness, the practice of being present in the moment with non-judgment, can happen not on a yoga mat and not necessarily as a meditation. So if you are a total rookie and you're looking at playing with the concept of mindful living and that monkey mind goes off. There's a lot of different ways you can practice bringing yourself back to center that don't require that. So um, a, a practice I might use, um, you know, today, coldest day of the year in, in North America, you know, lots of people are literally in freezing temperatures and they need to be mindful and present about how they're taking care of their brain and their body and keeping themselves both in brain and body warm. Um, an example of how to do that might be washing your hands. So I work a lot with executives and individuals. Say so when you're stressed out, or in this case cold, can you go to the sink mindfully be present, feel your feet on the ground, feel yourself turning on the faucet or putting your hand under the water and be fully present with the water, feeling it go over your hands, warming your hands, cleaning your hands, and then take that stress and overwhelm and breathe it into your fingers and physically watch it wash down the drain. So that might be an applied mindfulness practice that anyone could do. And as you build on those practices, you start to, again, naturally be present with, oh, I'm stressed. Oh, I'm shut down. Oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not at my most productive state. 
And you can pick any number of these practices to then kind of like reboot your life. And the more you do this, the stronger that muscle works, just like when you go to a gym, that you, be, you naturally find ways to lower your heartbeat, be more present in the moment, more focused, again, at home or at work. So that's, those are kind of a couple things that I hear that our, our skeptics talk about that might, might help your listeners to, to open up to trying a mindfulness practice one or two minutes, a couple times a day. And like you said, as you build that week over week, month over month, you, you will literally transform the way you look at yourself and the way you interact with the world. Right. Yeah. Well, I like that. The, uh, I mean, I, I find that, uh, when you work on, uh, work is when you play on yourself, when you, when you're mindful with yourself, with, when you're intentional with yourself, it's it's a never-ending story of of who you can become, if you will, the the evolution of yourself, if you will, and and I liked how you were sharing these examples of washing your water, washing your hands in water, and 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 being completely present in the process, and then with such a simple, uh, perhaps daily practice, um, it it grows on you like. Flexion of muscle, as you said, and it, when you, it seems like when you take time to grow who you are, so to speak, that it it ripples into the rest of your life because you you show up as a new person. So for yourself, um, in your own company, can you uh, tell us how you apply mindfulness? I am, I feel so grateful that I've been able to do this work in a, in a variety of ways, you know, really over the entirety of my career, but most intensely uh, since getting this advanced degree the last six years. And, you know, one, one great example is um, uh, like what you visualize, you actualize. Um, one example is if I have, an idea or an intuitive sense of a company that might need my work or a company that I want to work for, I will kind of sit in the question of that. Who is this company? What do they look like? What do they feel like? What industry are they in? And I will let my intuitive intuition guide me. Okay, this is, this is a, it's a hospital. It's a healthcare company. It's um, a certain, of a certain dollar amount of a certain date. And then I will sit down and I will actually pull up my contract and I will pretend, I will visualize, feel into what their client problem is, what the dollar amount they want to invest in, what the project is, and I will write an actual mock contract for this this contract that I'm dreaming of, that I'm visioning for, that I want to work for. And then I will lovingly put that in my desk and I will let it go kind of like, you know, you go to a restaurant and you order the chicken and you know 10 minutes later the chicken is going to come. That's the same thing for me. I will order into the universe what clients I want to have in my business and I invite them to then come into my life. And I'll I'll tell you every time I have done that, that same client profile will show up somewhere relating to that example. Um, and I have lots of clients who've done this for their job search or, you know, a client project or a vision that they have in their company. Um, I'm 
unless you probably have a vision board or, you know, you know, somebody who does, we think about those practices as only personal practices. But again, I don't believe in a separation between work life and home life. So I will work with CEOs and executives teams to create a vision board. What's that highest and best dream you have for your chiropractic office, your bank, your credit union. And we will create those pictures and we will have them in a lunchroom or in a lobby. And we invite people every day to kind of see and sense into that and, my clients have become great successes as a result of being willing to visualize and then actualize the work they want to see in the world. So that's one way that one of the many ways that I use applied mindfulness techniques to lead my company and my life. Very nice. Very intentional creation. I like that. Um, the, uh, the, the, we've been talking about mindfulness, and it seems like there's really two topics tonight, and the and the other one is leadership. Let's let's shift over to the uh, the conversation about leadership. Um, how did you find yourself uh, taking leadership on as, as such a passionate aspect of your life? Well, first of all, I believe everyone is a leader in some way. Mom's at home, dad's at home, leading a family. You might choose to volunteer for American Red Cross or Junior Achievement or a charity that means something to you, or perhaps it's a professional trade association. So, um, you know, again, in that spirit of, of non-judgment, I I do everything I can to look at everyone on the planet as leading their life and then whatever titles or roles they choose to add into that life, those are opportunities for them to be leaders. Um, for me, my leadership career really did start in, in volunteerism. I um, grew up as a um, you know, first-generation um, college graduate, didn't have this great corporate Rolodex. My dad was a machinist at Freightliner for 30 years. My loving mother stayed at home. So my life was about cultivating relationships with leaders, mentors, growing my network, and expanding the work that I could do that way. So that took me on a journey of writing these three books and connecting to people and asking great questions. And I think that's a tipping point in leadership today is many of our wisdom keepers who've been running companies for so long, they, they were leading from an awareness they needed to have all the answers. And as we rewrite this new chapter of leadership, I believe leadership is about having the right questions. And again, this willingness to be mindful and listen to the intuitive nature within yourself and your leadership team to grow your company. In fact, Jeff Bezos said when he was citing HQ2 that obviously they gathered all the same data, but he ultimately said the decision of where the HQ2 was going to go came from his heart. Uh, so, so I come at leadership from that mindful leadership through mindful practices. How do we bring both the head necessary data and that heart-soul intuition together to elevate the decisions that we must make to transform our world and our companies today. So you talked about the perhaps the old model of leadership of the one with all the answers, more or less. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but the the new dynamic having a kind of a different culture to it. 
so do you think the um, genre of leadership the um, is evolving over time and and as as we enter this next chapter of our human story the 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 face of leadership the the style the substance of leadership is going to evolve with us I think there only is evolution. So yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's it's changing. And I I want to highlight that that's that's not just changing based on the dynamic of of age. I think so often it's like, oh, you know, it's time for the the, the wisdom keepers to go, and here comes the new ideas. I and mean, while that is a part of the evolution, it is again back to your your world, the new human living of consciousness, the the consciousness of our planet is continuously changing, evolving, and growing, and it is requiring a new consciousness, a new level of leadership to emerge, to to respect what was, and also question and bring in new thoughts, new ideas, new humans to transform what we are creating, and especially now in this alchemy of, quite frankly, robots and humans, you know, this idea of um, AI and artificial intelligence and, you know, Siri and Alexa and all these things that how do we leverage the technology we've created, That again, that data, and use that unique skill that only human beings have, that, that beautiful heart, together to create even something better that is still on its way to us. And that requires, I believe, different questions and willingness to innovate as leaders. I like that. I like that heart element and how you folded it into that. It, certainly our hearts are very, very wise in a, in a way our egos can't comprehend. And uh, to bring that heart element into the leadership role is a very, a very powerful um, combination. I mean, if you, if you just take a step back and look at, I mean, um, I remember watching Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. I mean, and what I'm getting at is it wasn't that long ago that um, humanity was really a very uh, primitive, I don't know if that's the right word, but um, we're at the beginning of our technological evolution. And and the point I'm getting at here is there's you, the listener, listening to this episode, and Holly and I are having conversations. And uh, we're in such a rich, rich environment. What if Leonardo da Vinci had a 3D printer? What if Shakespeare had Twitter? I mean... I mean, we're we're in such a rich soil, if you will. We're such in a in such a, a dynamic environment. I mean, you can write a book and and publish it, and the next day somebody on the other side of the planet can buy it. I mean, the the pacing, the potential of every single individual that's walking the earth has been amplified over and over and over again, and. And so I guess what I'm getting at here is to be a leader is to change your idea of, of what's possible 
to to really honor all these variables and and put some leverage to them and put some some muscle to them as a fulcrum to make positive change in our human dynamic. I mean, so when you think about a a, a leader, who uh, who comes to mind? I mean, who from who inspires you as a leader today? Oh, wow. Who inspires me as a leader today? Les, what a great, great question. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's always easy to go to the big, the big figures out there, Oprah Winfrey, Steve Jobs. Um, but I, while those folks inspire me, I think it is the people on the front lines of these um, new thought, new human living movements that that inspire me. Someone, you know, kind of, you know, middle ground, Brene Brown, she's out there doing research and applying it and living her heart-centered life with the the, the grace in the, the oops moments just as much as the amazing moments, you know, and there's so many examples of people um, in my world that are doing the same, um, being willing to, to ask the tough questions and walk walk forward. Um, Matt Kahn comes to mind. I, I haven't yet met him, but he, he wrote a book on uh, whatever shows up, love that. Um, that that's an amazing book. Um, the people at Mind Valley, they're they're doing some great work. Christy Marie Sheldon, uh, Marie Forleo. Uh, you know, again, people looking at this this branch of personal leadership development and, and self-help and, and how do we become better humans for ourselves and then offer our consciousness as better humans um, to the world. I, th- I think those are the people that inspire me, the, the ones you just don't hear about, the person, you know, that's got the chalk on the road and they're, you know, writing, you know, love yourself or the, the people that are out there, you know, buying the coffee for the person behind them, um, Sometimes those unsung heroes are the people whose stories need to be told more because those are the real humans living real lives when the day is a bummer and when the day is really awesome. Right, yeah. I like that. Well, um, so what would you say would be new attributes for leaders that, that um, I mean, in, in older traditional companies, the the hierarchy, I mean, the structure of the company was a very mechanized lattice, if you will, of authority and and whatever. But the it seems like the new paradigm is is much more cohesive and um, um, in harmony with each other. What are the what are the new attributes of leaders that? that make a difference in the company. I mean, when we talk about leadership, what what would a CEO, what would the the um the, the head of a company change in his behavior to to make a more uh, effective company where everybody who works there is engaged and and honored perhaps and and valued and thus um, um, shows up in a in a more powerful way. 
Well, Les, it's a wonderful question and the basis of some of my main, my main keynotes um, on mindfulness and mindfulness through leadership. And I have a handout. You can, it's, it's a free download on, on my website, um, hollyduckworth.com, and it's called Seven Practices to Be a Mindful Leader. And I, again, want to highlight that word practices because, again, leadership isn't about, oh, my gosh, I've, I've, I've attained this great skill and I, and I absolutely know it absolutely, but it's the willingness to practice over and over. And, you know, a couple of those strategies um, that I'd love to highlight on the show is, is the idea of creating a vision. I talked about how I use vision in my own company and a vision board and that um, I lead people through a visioning process. It's, you know, six or eight question um, experiential feeling into not only the vision of what you see with your eyes, but what you see with your heart. And that in, in, packaged in that leadership skill of vision is Again, asking questions, being willing to listen to the heart of how your answers come in, and then intuitively acting from that. So one practice to be a mindful leader is is that idea of, of vision. Uh, another one of the seven is examining your beliefs. It is done unto you as you believe. I believe, again, that's personally and professionally, personally and as a leader. So are you really taking time to understand what it is that makes you be alive. What do you believe about your company? Because if you believe your company is going to make a million dollars in a year, you can start putting the vision in motion to visualize and actualize that belief. So the, I have an activity called Belief 1.0, Belief 2.0, where we look at your life or your business and, and examine your beliefs. And I think the core of, again, creating your vision as a practice, examining your beliefs as another practice. And then, you know, a third third um, scale, and I won't go over all of them for time, is just that idea of a mindful leader is grateful and creating a culture of appreciation and gratitude uh, for yourself, the skills you bring to your organization and the world, and, and that are reciprocated to you in your work. I think those three skills, vision, belief, and gratitude, are three of the seven really key strategies to be a mindful, presence-filled non-judgmental leader and those are some of the skills we need to um, be new humans creating this new world of consciousness together well i like that that's a powerful combination that you shared there you know earlier in the conversation you talked about uh the intentional creation of my words the intentional creation of your business relationships, you'd, you would sit down, you'd draw up a contract of what you desired, and then you'd, you'd set it down and let it fulfill. And then you were just talking now about uh, it's done unto you as you believe, and I like that. That's very powerful. And then, and then to take another look at the notion of a vision, uh, to, to be a visionary. So perhaps you're the... Uh, startup company or you're the leader of a multi-billion dollar company. Um, what I'm getting at here is the power of a vision. So the like that using that intentional exercise of writing up the contract of how you'd want to experience the universe how, uh, or or your clients and then to flex that muscle and get some trust with it your belief in that fulfillment, I would expect, over time to uh, like solidify and your trust of it would go up and your belief in it would go up. 
So when we when we sit here as visionaries and we look at the human dynamic, um, how do we honor the power of a vision in the sense that if we really believe something's going to happen, if we really believe we can cast a vision and it will fulfill, well, how do we cast a bold and powerful vision for humanity that turns out to be a very powerful um, catalyst for not only ourselves, for humanity? Because I think humanity is really hungry for powerful leaders with honest and sincere visions that come from their heart. How do we honor the power of creating a vision? Um, first of all, I don't believe there's a big or small in a leader. I don't believe there's a big or small in a vision that we each have within us a seed of whatever our unique purpose, passion, vision is for our life. And so whatever that is that is whispering to become through you is is a beautiful thing. And I wrote um, my second book I released in 2018 is the name of the show, Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World. And I think that those grand visions come from everyday mindfulness. And in this book, I invite readers to set a daily intention. And intention setting is how you are going to put your energy in motion each day. And so each day has kind of a a core theme, an inspirational quote, and a story about how to apply that quote. And today we're releasing the show on January 30th. It's, It's a quote about your internal GPS. And I said, I like to think about times in life when we used to use real paper and maps to get to places. We didn't have that GPS to guide us. But now is a time where we do have that voice of the GPS and how do we use that daily practice of intention setting each and every day to get us a little closer to leading that vision that we want to have happen. And that's, that's the practice. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to tell my GPS, put me in the direction of being joyful or happy or loving. And any time I find myself not doing that, I revisit today. I, today my, I put my energy in motion to be loving. And and those practices as a mindful leader get us each and every step day one step closer to being present with ourselves and creating that life that we want to have. Wow, I like that. Um, you, you've you've done your homework. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know how that. I mean, um, what I mean is your words have a lot of substance to it. You've been doing this for a while. You've really honed your message, and and it really shows. I I very much like your content, and certainly your passion is is quite alive and vibrant, and and that's electric. I've really enjoyed this conversation. So um, now you've got quite a platform going. You You have books. You have your company. Can you share with our audience just, just take the time you need, and, and how do we get our books? What services do you offer? How do we engage you? Well, Les, it's very kind of you to have me on the show. Um, one of the things that I'd just love to, to give to you as kind of a gift and a thought is um, we talked in the intro about my book, um, Mindful Leadership, the A to Z Guide for Stress-Free Leadership. And this is just a little micro book. It's called the Infotainment Book, which is information and entertainment. And I know your listeners who love blog talk radio and you know, grabbing content on the go will really love this book. And I'm going to use you as an example. So it's every letter of the alphabet has a coloring mandala 
And then uh, a practice you can try, just like the washing of the hands. And so we'll use your name, L and J, your acronym. Less meaning love. And there, there's a little journaling activity that helps you remind, rem, remember yourself. Less is love. Everything less say, says, everything less does comes from a place of love. And then J in the book, the practice for J is the, the mindful leadership practice of joy. And if we want to go to work every day in joy, then as leaders leading companies, or if we want our families to be joyful, we've got to stand in joy. So just using your acronym, L and J, love and joy. Les, does that feel like you? Would you say that you're a person that, that kind of exudes love and joy as your mindful leadership stress-free practice? Yeehaw, indeed. Indeed. So that's a great book for um, intro people. If you want to get to know my work, it, it's there on Amazon, Mindful Leadership, the A to Z Guide for Stress-Free Leadership. Um, the new book, Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World, it's a daily reader. A lot of people will have it in their car and they might read it when they pull into the parking lot at the office to set their energy in motion for the day. Some of my clients have it on their inbox on their desk. Um, again, it's available on my website, hollyduckworth.com, H-O-L-L-Y-D-U-C-K-W-O-R-T-H.com. And then uh, 2019 is really a transformational year for people to step up into a private coaching practice. So I am offering some six-month and annual packages for people to come in do this work with me um, privately. And it's always a joy to be referred to corporations and associations that are looking for an inspirational or educational speaker. So if someone out there is planning an annual conference or a trade show in their company and this message resonates, uh, go on my website, hollyduckworth.com. There's a a speaker tab. There's some keynote speeches there. Um, I would be honored to bring this book of the acronyms, the, the love and the joy, and help you find your letters for you personally or for your company and then um, share with you each and every day um, my wisdom through the Everyday Mindfulness book. So lots of ways to connect to me. It's all there at hollyduckworth.com. Find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on all the social media. Um, But more importantly, Les, thank you for having me on the show because uh, mindful matters and so do you and I couldn't get this work out in the world if it wasn't um, for your kindness and generosity. Boy, it's my pleasure. It's been such a delight having you on the show. Well, um, I don't know how to ask this question because I could say, do you have any closing thoughts? Or I could say, do you, um, what does your vision hold? I mean, can, just share with us uh, some, some closing perspectives that you might have. You know, um, what we think about, we bring about. And I know there's a lot of uh, fear and doubt and lack in the media. And um, as human beings, we have the choice to subscribe to that story that's being written, or we have the choice to write a new story. And I would invite your listeners to write the story of a focus, the peace, the joy, and the happiness that Lassie represents so well on the show and live that every day because when one person does it, you invite others to do it and we start to grow this community of like-minded, good-loving humans and I, I believe that love will always cast out the fear and the hate when we are intentional and kind each and every day to one another and start to build more bridges 
than build more walls. And that's not a political statement. It's just simply a fact of the more we can connect and build bridges across ages and ethnic relationships and diversity and diversity of thought and build more curiosity and discovery versus judgment, uh, the more mindful, present-filled, joy-filled we get to be in a world that works for everyone. Those are very powerful words. Um, We've got about five minutes left. You know, I I like the idea that uh, you're talking about um, um, building bridges, about uh, creating visions, and and through intention, um, fulfilling. There's this element of fulfillment that happens when, when you cast a vision, so to speak, with your intention. And then through the mindful practice of living each day as it is, um, there's an aspect of fulfillment. And uh, I, it, it, it seems like the, the potent, our human potentials has all the chemistry, all the elements that we need as a, as a collective whole, as humanity as a whole, to... Uh, to kind of turn the boat around and steer through the storm. Um, when when you look at the these next few years of our of our human story, um, what kind of uh, what kind of game changers do you see that that would show up through our human intention, if you will, to turn the boat around? Um, I think we have to be bold enough to stop focusing on our doingness and start focusing on our beingness. Who am I going to be this day? And trust in the knowing that my choice to be a good, kind and loving woman, kind and loving man, and being kind to the people next to me will ripple out to being kind to the next person, being kind to the next person. So instead of jumping to that judgment of that Native American person is bad or that gay person is bad or that person who's wearing the baseball cap is bad, that we have to stop doing bad to one another and start looking at how we can be good to one another. And that happens in curiosity. And I I hope and it's my my wish and my prayer that, that our world can put down this judgment of fear and judgment of bad and just say, well, what could be possible? How could we make this work? And when we stand for something and against nothing, we stand for love and we stand for light and we stand for high consciousness and transformation, that's going to open up possibilities we've never even even seen before and that comes from the recognition and the alignment of oneness why I was so excited about being on your show oneness of a, of a human family not nothing more or nothing less we are we are all human beings having a spiritual experience on this planet and can we honor the humanness of that experience as I said in the Brene Brown thing on good days and on bad days and have a state of grace for each other when it's a bad day and have a sense of celebration in the oneness on those great days. Well, very nice. Well, Holly, you have such a palatable compassion for humanity. 
I mean, to listen to you talk over this this episode, you, your passion is is vibrant and alive, and and your um, um, you've really immersed in the material, and I think that comes from um, that compassion to make a difference. That the passion that you have to show up in a in a very uh, intentional way, and it's clear to me that you've you've already touched the lives of many many people, and I only see that ramping up for you. So. I want to thank you for walking on this planet at this time. I'm delighted that you're here, and I'm delighted you've been a guest on our show tonight. I've had such a wonderful time. Thank you for being our guest tonight. Well, congratulations on more than 250 shows last. It's great to be here, and maybe we'll have a chance to do it once you cross over the 300s. I would, would welcome the opportunity to uh, continue to explore these concepts in how we can be new humans living in this new world as it transforms as we collectively write the story. Thank you. We've been talking with Holly Duckworth, and the the topic tonight has been everyday mindfulness. And it's been such a a wonderful conversation. I really like Holly and her material. I want to uh, put out her her website again. It's Holly Duckworth, H-O-L-L-Y-D-U-C-K-W-O-R-T-H.com. Um, I love bringing episodes like this because it's it's through the compassion of our hearts and the and the passion of our uh, of of our intention of uh, when our soul shows us a vision of what our life can be and then we engage it. Um, some electric happens. It, it's not something the ego itself can accomplish because I don't think the satisfaction is as deep in your soul, so to speak, if we just operate from our minds. There's, there's a, a much deeper level of uh, satisfaction and fulfillment when we, when we keep the elements of our heart and our soul in our everyday intentions. It's a... It's a it's such a powerful time to be alive. When you look at the human dynamic, um, human beings are the vehicle of change. Human beings are the seeds of inspiration, of, of new ideas, of new possibilities. Our mythology is loaded with single individuals that that make such a huge difference. And and it's not always the heavy lifter, the big screen showbiz kind of. Um, heroes, if you will, but um, it 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 always is intentional people. Like uh, the the notion of Gandhi comes to mind as such a relatively small and frail guy, but he turned a country on its head in such a powerful and positive way. You know, um, life's a wonderful thing when you can show up for it, and you, the listener, have shown up for yourself. You you you've come to this episode and you leave a different person and I'm honored to provide episodes like this it's my pleasure to bring you episodes that can make a difference in your life we look for guests that have the tools that can help you change your life into more of what you would enjoy and prefer you know we're going to cross our 300th episode this year, and it, it's such a pleasure. 
I find such a pleasure in sharing these times with you because I know we're going to look back individually and collectively and go, wow, what a ride. What what have we been doing in, in a very wonderful and powerful way? I'm your host, Les Jensen. I want to thank you for joining us on our episode tonight. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a New Human Living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at newhumanliving.com. Thanks for listening.